Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Okay, you ready for the word? Yes. Good, good. Last night we had a great time here. Um, Many, many people, uh, we had a lot of good feedback from the message. I'm sure that uh, many of you are going to be ministered to this morning. It's going to help you. Um, I want to start out with a little bit of a, little bit of a discussion, kind of to lay the, the framework of this message. And, and truthfully, I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, I've been holding on to this message for at least eight to nine months, waiting for a kind of a go-ahead from the Holy Spirit, like, it's time. You, you, can, you can release this message now. Um, I think, I want you to think about these things. I think that we could safely say that the majority of us believe, we believe 100% that Jesus came to the earth in order to, uh, not, only, not only to bring us into salvation, but to make us aware that when we receive Christ, we are children of God. Amen. How many would you, would you agree? Let me see your hands. How many of you agree? You believe that Jesus came to this earth to reconnect us to our Father in heaven, that we are his children, he is our father, yes? yes. But, but there's another aspect of our relationship with God that uh, many times goes unnoticed or untalked about, and it kind of slips away from us. And when that slips away from us, we become lacking. I, I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures, and I want you to see if you recognize the common thread between all of them. Um, I'm going to take most of these scriptures from one of Jesus' most famous teachings, that is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 19 in the same chapter. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does, does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Are you starting to see a little common thread here? Uh, verse 20, the same chapter. I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will be by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Skipping over to chapter 6, same teaching. Verse 9, verse nine In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the what? Kingdom. kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 31, same chapter. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Could you, could you say verse 33 together with me, kind of really out loud? One, two, three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What is the common thread in every one of these verses? Kingdom. It's a kingdom. Yes, we belong to the family of God. Yes, God is our Father. But that family is within a kingdom, and that kingdom has a king, and our Father is the king of the universe. Amen. 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 Paul understood this. 
He understood about adoption. He understood that we're in the family of God now, but he also understood the, the even deeper truth that we belong to a kingdom, and that kingdom has a king. And so he wrote to Timothy, his spiritual son. It's recorded for us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In addition to being sons and daughters of God, we are subjects of a kingdom that has always existed, and it can never fail, and that kingdom extends into eternity future. It, we will always be part of a kingdom. From the moment that you got born again, from the moment that you received Christ, you made him your Lord and Savior. From that time forward, you are a subject of a kingdom. Amen. You're a child of God. You've been adopted, but you've been adopted by a king. Amen. And that makes a big difference, and we'll see it as we go along. Amen? Amen. King David got a glimpse of this even way before he became king. And he wrote for us what we call Psalm 24. I'm going to start in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift up your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And then he adds, Selah. Selah means, think about this, ponder this, meditate on this. In other words, he's saying this is important. Now, Isaiah the prophet had a vision of the king. And he recorded it for us. We call it Isaiah chapter 6. I want to start in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You could just imagine this, this, this picture of majesty. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That word host means armies. He's the Lord of armies, of heaven's armies. The whole earth is full with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I, Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Read this together with me. Ready? One, two, three. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He is a king. And we are his subjects. As believers, we live in a spiritual realm, a spiritual kingdom. Ruled by a king, and listen, listen closely that someday, soon, will step out of the realm of the spirit and step into the realm of the natural here on earth. And at that time, as it's been prophesied in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you listening? Yes. Now, in Acts chapter 1, in verse 6, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. And it says there, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the what? Kingdom. kingdom. So they understood it was a kingdom. 
Jesus never gave them any other indication it was anything else but a kingdom. And Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. What was Jesus saying? Let me sum it up for you. Let me paraphrase. This is what Jesus was saying. Guys, you've seen the reality of this kingdom. You've seen it in action. You've recognized the power of this kingdom. But for now, it remains in the spiritual realm. When I return, it'll go from the spiritual realm to the natural realm, and there will be, the the entire earth will see this King Jesus return to the earth. This entire earth, saved, unsaved, everybody in between, will know that there is a king, and he he will physically reside and will sit on a throne in Jerusalem, and everyone will know that at that point, the kingdom of heaven has been established here on this earth. Now, let me throw some stuff at you. Why is it important for us to stir up again our remembrance that it's a kingdom? Why is it important for us to remind ourselves that, yes, Jesus is our great shepherd. God, our father, is our great physician. He is Abba. He is my daddy. He is my father. I am his son. Uh, You may be his son, a daughter, whatever. That is a reality. We have been adopted into this family. But why now, especially, I believe that it's time that the Holy Spirit wants to revive again this sense of the majesty of God, the power of God, the fact that, that he is a mighty warrior is this. We are living in perilous, dangerous times. I believe if anybody could come back from the grave from 100 years ago, walk around for about five minutes and see what the condition of this world is, they would say, uh, open that coffin, I want to go back. <laughs> we don't realize it because things have changed so subtly for us during our lifetimes. But even those of us, and I, I'm not that old, but even those of us can remember times where it, you, didn't, you didn't feel this, this danger, especially this week. You got people that are afraid to go to Walmart to go shopping, okay? Uh, you got people that are afraid. Some people are starting to entertain the idea, really can't go to public places and this, that, and the other thing. And of course, the media doesn't help it because the media loves to sell fear because fear gets people to watch television, okay? And so it preys on the emotion. Now, let me just say this. In the time of danger, in the time that we're living in, when there's so much peril, there's so much turmoil, there's so much evil that is actively operating in the earth, it brings me comfort to know that my God is not just my daddy, he's not just my father, but he is a mighty warrior. And let me tell you this, okay? We don't talk enough about this. We don't talk enough about that he's made us more than conquerors. We don't talk enough about the fact that he always leads me into triumph. We don't talk enough about that. And so therefore, that whole mindset starts to slip away from us, and we begin to feel powerless. And I believe that's one of the main reasons why the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today in the earth, especially here in America, is so powerless. And why the church, especially in America, is not prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when they think when he's coming, he's either coming as a little infant in Bethlehem. Let's pray to the baby Jesus. The baby Jesus grew up. Many of us only entertain the picture of Jesus. 
with the lamb around his neck, the great shepherd, the kind, meek, mild Jesus. Honey, he's not coming back that way. And that's why he said, I'm coming for a people who are expecting me. Most Christians would say, that's not the Jesus I'm looking for. I'm looking for the kind Jesus to pat me on my head, G. He's coming back on a war horse. He's coming back to judge. He's coming back to defeat the forces of darkness. You better be ready. In fact, the Apostle John, I'm getting ahead of myself, the Apostle John was not ready to see Jesus in eternity. He's still thinking about the Jesus at the Last Supper that he laid his head on. And so in the book of Revelation, in the first chapter, when he sees... Oh, I'm way ahead of myself. And when 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 he sees Jesus... He falls down at his feet, paralyzed with fear. Because he, the last time he saw Jesus, he saw the resurrected Jesus. Now he's seeing the Jesus of majesty, the Jesus of eternity, the Jesus who was and is and is to come. He saw the fire in his eyes, and it scared him. Honey, that's the Jesus that's coming back. Listen, when I got to fight a devil, that's the Jesus I want on my side. And the church is not ready. Because you want a Jesus that's going to sit there and hold your hand and go, yeah, I know it's tough. And I know, I know, you know, sin's got a grip on you. And I understand. And I love you. And that's why we love to sing that song, Mercy Triumphs Over over Judgment. Because some of us are going, man, if something don't change, I got a lot of judgment to face. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Turn to somebody and say, we're in a kingdom. And I'm his subject. The truth is, that most, of, well, let me, let me just prep us for this one. Say this with me. I love my pastor. Because he, he tells me the truth. Whether it feels good or not. Now, now, because of the magnitude on where I'm going to go with this, we've got to say it again. Ready? One, two, three. I love my pastor. See, you forgot about it. You didn't even, you didn't even mean it. Ready? Let's do it again. I love my pastor because he tells me the truth, whether it feels good or not. You ready? Yes. Some of you that tend to be a little bit more sensitive, hold on to your seats. Okay? The majority of Christians today in the church, not New Beginnings, the church in general, relate to God as if it it was a democracy or a republic. The truth of the matter is it's neither one. The kingdom of God is a theocracy. It is the rule of God over his people. Amen. Which means, those of you that feel like, I have my rights. Yeah, you do. You have a right to go to hell. <laughs> That's the right that you have in the kingdom of God. You don't get to vote. You get to obey. Let, let's Because I know that didn't, that didn't feel good. Let's say it again. Say it with me. I don't get to vote, I get to obey. One more time. I don't get to vote, I get to obey. It is not a democracy. And for those of us that have gone around, well, you know, I have my rights, I have my dreams, I have my plans. 
Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And it better for our own sakes. For our own sakes. It is a kingdom. That kingdom has a king. Psalm 95, for the Lord is, is a great God and the great king above all gods. Why is it so important at this time? Why is it so important for us to recall that he's a king? Because in these times, I need a triumphant warrior. I need a defender. I need a protector. I need him to be my shield. I need him to be my fortress. I need him to be my strong tower. I need him to be the mighty God. I need him to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of king I want. That's the kind of God. And the scriptures support this and tell us this is the one who's coming. This is the one who's on his way. And the most important thing about it, he's on our side. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 tells us, if God be for us, go ahead, you finish it. If God be for us, who can be against us? What's the answer? Nobody. No thing and no body. It doesn't matter. Why? Because he calls the shots. One word out of his mouth defeats his enemies. But thank God he's not an unjust. He's not a self-serving tyrant. He is a benevolent, selfless, loving king who wants the best for his people. Amen. A good king, think about this, a good king protects his people. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present, ever-present, ever-present. So some of us that, 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 that have this habit that we cry out to God when we're in the middle of an emergency. Stop doing that. Because while you're doing that, you are insinuating that he's not with you, that he's someplace else. You're insinuating that he doesn't know the attack that's coming against you. When you only call on him in an emergency situation, you are insinuating that he's not aware of what's going on in your life. He is aware. And in most situations, I want you to really, really think about what I'm about to say here. I'm actually going to pause. I'm going to take a drink of water after I say this because I want you to think about this. Think about the last time you got really attacked and your first inclination was, that it came out of left field. Think about that for a minute. How many times have you heard the stories from people say, man, this attack just came out of this thing. This is crazy. It just came out of left field. I never saw it coming. And then within days, within days, the person realizes, well, you know what? God was trying to show me that this was coming. You, you, sometimes you say, you know, I had a feeling on the inside something was going on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How did that happen? Because he's with you. He's aware of what's going on. Not only is he mighty warrior, but he's, he's in us. And his spirit abides in us. And his spirit knows everything that's going to happen in the future in your life. And he begins to prepare you. You might all of a sudden feel an urgency to start praying. All of a sudden, you might, you, you might see somebody's face when you shut your eyes and you begin to pray. God may show you somebody's face because something may be going on in their life. God is always trying to warn us. God is always trying to prepare us. Nothing, listen to me, nothing, nothing should ever take us by surprise if we are keeping our ears alert 
to the Spirit. Amen. It should never take us by surprise. Amen? Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. This is an awesome scripture. This is one you should write down and keep it in your wallet, keep it in your pocketbook, put it on your refrigerator, put it, tape it in your car. But the Lord is faithful. We can stop right there. Why? Why? You realize how many scriptures declare the faithfulness of God? And it's like they start off with, the Lord is faithful, and it gives you the rest of the message. Why is that important? Well, you see, for me to know that my God is a mighty warrior is great. Would you agree? But, But just as important, it is very, very, very vitally important that I know that he's faithful to be that mighty warrior. That he's going to show up when I need him to show. That his power is going to be made manifest when they need to be made every single time. If he's ever failed us once, then the devil will say, you see, he never came through for you. He's not faithful. But the truth of the matter, he's what? Now, watch what he's faithful about in this scripture. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you, and he will do what? From what? He will protect me from the evil one. Protect me. So, so whenever you're out and about in your daily, daily life and going shopping or going this place or going to the beach or going wherever you go and go to your job and travel on the highways, if you ever start to feel fear come on you, I pray that this scripture comes up. The Lord is faithful. Faithful to do what? To strengthen me and to protect me from, from who? The evil one. You have an enemy. You have an enemy. You might as well you might as well accept that fact. It is not fate that is doing things to you. It's not the universe. You have an enemy. And he's real. And he hates mankind. He hates you. Because you were made in the image and likeness of God. And he can't get to God. So the closest he can get to God is you. Understand that it's a fact. You have an enemy who hates you. Who wants to sow strife in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your business, in your churches. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a manipulator. But we've got a mighty warrior that's stronger than him. In the book of Exodus, I love this picture. They just come out of Egypt. The Israelites, some people say two million, two and a half million, three million. They come out of Egypt. They're heading towards the promised land. They come up to the shores of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army now, Pharaoh woke up and went, what do we do? Who's going to take my garbage out? (laughs) Who's going to feed my cat? You know, who's going to? We lost them all. We lost our workforce. And so he assembles his army, and they start heading out to recapture the Israelites. Now, if you've, never, if you've never known this fact before, accept this as fact, because it appears over and over and over again in the book of Exodus. God revealed himself and manifested himself to the Israelites as a cloud in the daytime. You could picture maybe a tornado cloud, a tower, a, a, a column of smoke in the daytime, and at nighttime, 
that turned into flames of fire that led them. And so they're following. They get to the Red Sea, and the Israelites realize, oh, here he comes. And it tells us that the glory of the Lord, which was this, this column of smoke in the daytime, this column, this pillar of fire by night, went from in front of the Israelites. Oh, this is so cool. I can't wait to get to heaven and say, God, I want to see the rerun. I want to see that. <laughs> I want to see that one. This, this pillar of flame at night goes from in front of the Israelites and goes around the back of them and just presents itself like this between the, the Egyptians and the Israelites. And it, if that wasn't cool enough, it says that to the Egyptians, it was darkness. To the Israelites, it was light. Your God knows how to protect you. Your God knows how to blind your enemies. Your God knows how to surround you and keep you from anything from the evil one. That's the God that you have put your faith in. A good God provides for his people. Psalm 23.1, I want you to listen to it in this particular translation. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Oh, say, Pastor, why do you like that version so much? Watch, because it establishes this fact now. Because in the original King James, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, which almost hints to me at future tense. No, no, no. The original language speaks more of the present tense reality. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You guys need to be saying that more often. I lack nothing. Why? Because he's my shepherd. He's my king. He provides for me. He knows what I need 10 years from now. When I was born, he knew what I was going to need every step of my life, what I was going to need emotionally, what I was going to need spiritually, what I was going to need physically, what I would need materially. He knows everything that you're going to need. That's the kind of king he is. He provides for his people. Matthew chapter 6, we read before, verse 33. But seek first his what? You're not saying it loud enough, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Seek the kingdom way of doing things. What's the kingdom way of doing things? What's the kingdom way of doing things? Let me ask you that question. Think about this. What's the, is the kingdom way of doing things? When the king issues a command, you go, well, you know, uh, Lord, let me pray about this. Let, let me, is it okay if I think about it? Now, you, know, you, know, you know, Majesty, uh, with all due respect, I'm not comfortable with that. Is that the kingdom way of doing things? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Let me ask you this question. Now we're really going to get, now I'm really going to test whether you love your pastor or not. Do you think the kingdom way of doing things is living in rebellion? No. Jesus said, give me a second. Maybe I should get one of those hats with the little straw things. <laughs> Jesus said about Lucifer. And you know, you know, most people don't really know the story about Lucifer. Most people don't know that Lucifer, okay, now it's an evil name now, but when it was given to him, it wasn't. Lucifer, the light bringer. Lucifer, the choir leader of heaven. Lucifer, the worship leader of heaven. Didn't start out being Satan. But then something was found within him, some evil, some something. And he decided one day that he wanted the throne. He wanted to be king. He wanted to control the universe. 
Where do you think they get all these storylines from with all these Marvel comics and Superman and all these other things? It's, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same storyline. And Jesus said about that incident, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Let me ask you a question. How long does it take lightning to get from the sky to, to the earth? That's how much God tolerates rebellion. Now, here's the sad thing, because most people think that they can live their lives in rebellion and still expect provision. Well, I thought he's merciful. Oh, he's merciful. Go ask Pharaoh how merciful he is. He gave Pharaoh 10 chances. Nobody likes to talk about this kind of stuff, especially today in the church today. Nobody wants to talk about this kind of stuff. He gave Pharaoh 10 chances. At the end of the 10th chance... That's it. Now, I understand we're living in a different dispensation today. But hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Because it's going to get better from this point. Okay. (laughs) Rebellion towards the kingdom of God really has nothing to do with your eternal destination because that's already been sealed. You listening to me? But rebellion against the kingdom of God has all to do with the quality of life you're going to live on this earth. Because, you see, most Christians forget about sowing and reaping. You can't plant seeds of rebellion and expect to, re- and expect to reap fruit of righteousness. You listening? Yes. So, so sometimes we I don't understand. I just don't understand. I don't understand why my needs are not met. I don't understand why I'm so much in debt. Uh, now, I'm not saying that every time a person's in debt, it's because of this. I don't understand why my marriage is falling apart. I don't understand why. Did you ever bother to, to take inventory to see... When was the last time God told you to do something that you said, "Mm, I don't understand. I don't sense the presence of God in my life. He didn't go anywhere. He's he's at the last place you left him. At the very last thing he told you to do that you said, I'm not comfortable with that. Oh, oh, did, did did I turn over your sacred cow? Because most people today are not preaching. Most people today are preaching, you can live any way you want. It's, God loves you. God loving me has got nothing to do with me living any way I want. That's right. yeah. God loves me. And because he loves me, he doesn't, he doesn't want me living any way I want. Because he knows it's not good for me. Turn to somebody and say, it's not good for you. He's got better for you. Now, I told you it's going to get better. So, so, so a good king protects his people, yes? yes? A good king provides for his people, yes? yes? A good king pardons his people. Now, now, we know God hates sin, but he does. He loves the sinner. He'll love the sinner all the way to hell, but he still loves him. And the price for God's forgiveness is very high. He paid, it, he paid that price himself. By Christ's Loving act on the cross of grace, believers are eternally free from the penalty and the guilt of sin. Once we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, God doesn't keep a record of our sins and our forgiveness is total and complete. Again, remember, our acts of rebellion, our acts of, 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 of not wanting to submit and, and, and be subjected to the kingdom of God affects our quality of life here. And that's important too. But our forgiveness as it pertains to eternity is complete. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord doesn't count against him, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. That's Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. 
In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, here's what God says through the prophet. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. You remember, you remember the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? I think we talked about it last week a little bit. The woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Okay. By law. By law. She should have been stoned to death. I'm not telling you it's right. I'm just telling you, according to the law of that day, she should have been stoned to death. Jesus shows up on the scene. Well, they brought her to Jesus. And they expected him to go by the law. And he flips it over. And it never dawned on me. Why and how? He's the king. If he decides to pardon somebody, they're pardoned. It's done. Because they could have made the accusation to him. What are you doing? They, in fact, they said, according to Moses, she should be stoned to death. But he's a king. And you say, well, that's not fair. Honey, you better thank God he's a king. You better thank God that he has the right to pardon whoever he wants to pardon. You better thank God that he has the right to pardon those that come to him in faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You better thank God that he's flexible. I want you to think about this. Compassion and kindness are the mark of a great king. I'm, I alluded to this earlier in the message. Revelation chapter 1. I, for the sake of time, we can't go there, but I, I want you to go read it and, and read it a couple of times. Revelation chapter 1, obviously, is the introduction to the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is probably upwards of 95 years old, probably closer to 100. He's the only one of the disciples that never suffered martyrdom. He's the only one that died a natural death. Okay? He's old. The Roman Empire at that point was conducting a terrible persecution against the church. And the, and the emperor himself is determined to destroy this last of the apostles, this last of the eyewitnesses, so-called. And they try to kill him, he won't die. They actually literally, literally tried to fry him in oil, and he just wouldn't fry and so the, the emperor is so furious, he said, now, now just banish him to this little island, and you can go visit it today. It's off the, Tur the coast of Turkey called Patmos, where they put all the political prisoners. They're on their own. There's, this island has no water. There's no vegetation. It's nothing but rock, and that's why they put them there. And on the Lord's Day, which, by the way, most people think is Sunday in that book of Revelation. It's not. It's Thursday. How do you figure that one? Go read it. I researched it. The Lord's Day in the Roman Empire was Thursday because it wasn't the Lord God Almighty they were talking about the Lord's Day. They were talking about Caesar's Day. And that was the day when everybody in the empire is supposed to bring incense and burn it in honor of Caesar. On that day, Jesus appears to John. And he appears not as Jesus at the Last Supper, 
but Jesus of eternity. And this is what he looks like, according to the scriptures. You can go read it for yourself. It so shocked John that John collapses at his feet. Jesus is standing there. His hair is as white as wool. His eyes are flames of fire. He's got a gold, solid gold garment knitted with gold from, from the collarbone down to the waist, which was very significant in ancient times because the, the size of that garment on a king determined the size of his kingdom and the power of his kingdom. If you were just a mediocre king, you had a little band around your waist. The bigger that band, it's called girdle in, in, in King James, the bigger that garment that held the core of the king's body, the larger that was determined the magnitude and power and majesty of that kingdom. And Jesus has got one from here down to here. And it's so shocking to John. He doesn't know how to react. He just face plant. Bam. Jesus in his majesty, the king of the universe, the one who tells, tells us later on in Revelation that he, when he returns, he's going to open his mouth and a sword's going to come out and devour his enemies. That Jesus, what are we talking about here? The mark of a good king is compassion and kindness. If you read it in the original language, it says in our translations that Jesus put his hand on him. In the original language, it, it insinuates that Jesus' majesty, king of kings and lord of lords, gets on his knees and puts his arm around John and said, John. It's me. It's me, John. Don't be afraid. It's me. I'm the same one that you knew. It's me, John. Compassion and kindness toward us, but wrath and indignation towards his enemies. Do not find yourself waiting for the wrong Jesus to show up. Why is that important? Because your unsaved loved ones, your unsaved coworkers, your unsaved neighbors are not ready for this Jesus. And if you don't open your mouth and if you don't lead them to Christ and if you don't pray for them and if you don't live your life out in front of them, that's going to cause them to want Jesus, not to repel and be repulsed. They're going to face the judge Jesus when he comes. They're going to face the lion, not the lamb. That's why this message is so important right now. Understand this. When the king speaks, things happen. They wake Jesus up in the boat in the middle of the storm. He gets up, yawns, and says, shut up. And the wind stops and the waves stop. That's the king I want on my side. Okay? I don't, you know, I love the fact that Jesus was a great teacher. I love the fact that Jesus was, was, a, was a wonderful person to be around, you know, kind and compassionate. But honey, when I'm under attack, I don't need a teacher. I need a warrior. Amen. It's this king that's saying, come unto me, all you who are heavy burden. It's this king that is saying, cast all your cares and all your burdens upon me because I care for you. It's this king that promised to never leave us or forsake us. It's this king who said, watch this one. It's this king who said, you shall receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's this Jesus, this king who said, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, you know, 
Lord, it's not really my personality. Go and make disciples of every nation. It's this king who said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what clothes you're going to wear. I'll take care of you. Just like, that, just like I take care of the flowers and just like I take care of the birds of the air, this king knows how to take care of his people. Now watch this now. I've got to wrap this up. Wow. Thank God for the extra time in between services. We are subjects of a kingdom that is not seen with natural eyes. We cannot point people to a natural throne. We cannot point people to a natural palace. Not yet. Not yet. Now, now I need you to really press in. I need you really, really, really to focus in on this last few moments. The only evidence that this kingdom exists is in the actions of his subjects. Did you get what I just said? If this world is going to ever see that there is such a thing as the kingdom of God, it's going to be based on the actions of his subjects. That's why the last thing Jesus said was, go into the world and make, make disciples of every nation. But then in, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark heard the rest of the story. In my name, you cast out devils. In my name, as you're going along, if you drink anything deadly, it's not going to hurt you. Why? Because you're doing my business. You're a subject of my kingdom. In my name, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In my name, they're going to speak in other tongues. In my name. In other words, the supernatural activity of the kingdom has got to be seen on the subjects of the kingdom or this world is never going to believe that there is a kingdom. Are you, are you listening to me? Let me tell you a real quick story, then I'm going to wrap this up. Is it okay? Can I, can I have a couple more minutes? You guys got the rest of the day. I got to come back and do this again. When my son Michael was born, many of you know the story. There were complications at his birth. I thought we lost him. Cord wrapped around his neck. Got, thank God the Lord performed a miracle. He was fine. About six months later, am I right when I said that time frame? I don't even know if he was that old. Might have been a few months. But the, at the latest, six months later, I'm at our business. I'm working at the business. And my wife calls me in the morning. She said, um, you better come home. There's something wrong. The, he, the, the baby's not, he, he's, his skin is like his milk, like white, pale, completely pale. And he's not breathing right. I said, I'll be right home. Man, I never made it home so quick. Got the baby. Thank God the doctor that we were using then was only a few minutes from, not even a few minutes from my house, literally blocks away. And so we brought him in there, and the doctor says, uh, he's having an asthma attack, and you got, you, you've got to get the baby to the hospital as soon as possible. He said, go there right now. Go to the emergency room. I'm, I'm going to leave. I'll meet you there. I'm going to call ahead and go to order oxygen tank, oxygen tent, and all the things they used to do back then, talking 35 years ago. And uh, uh, so we jump in the car. We go. We got in the car. Now, now Barbara, my wife, she's a wonderful believer, wonderful woman of God. Now you know that. But at that point in time, had not yet become born again. She was, you know, she's watching her husband because her husband was such a kook. <laughs> and so she thought when I first got saved, okay, it's another fad he's on. Here's another phase he's going through. So she, she'll, she, so, and rightfully so, she watched me to make sure this thing was real. Because uh, the fact was, I was a kook, okay? So um, I get in the car and I said, Barb, look, I, I know you're not going to understand this, and, and, but I, please, I need you to trust me. I just, I haven't, I, I didn't tell her this at the time, but I had no peace whatsoever. I was convinced that if I took the baby right to the hospital, he was going to die. 
I said, I know you don't understand this, but I have got to stop by church Amen. on the way to the hospital. I need my pastor to pray for this baby. Amen. I just knew it in my gut. I'm upset. I'm upset. I'm terribly upset. Okay? So we get to the church, which literally down Drum Point Road here at that time. And uh, I barge into the pastor's office. I'm crying. And, and, and the pastor and the assistant pastor happened to be there, who at that time, the assistant pastor was a wild man, complete wild man, okay? I walk in. I'm holding a baby. She stayed in the car. I said, stay in the car. Let me handle this, because I knew she couldn't handle it. So, so she wasn't ready for that. So I walk in there, and the first thing the assistant pastor does, when I'm crying. I'm telling my son's dying. All of a sudden, the assistant pastor did the most godly thing he could have ever done. He slapped me right across the face. <laughs> And said, shut up. Nothing's going to happen to this baby. And the pastor laid hands on my son, Michael, and I saw the color just come back right into his face. No, it's not done. Don't clap yet. We spend maybe half an hour. It's going to take another 15 minutes to get to the hospital from there. I bring him out. She sees the difference in him. He's breathing. His color's back in his face. We put him in the car seat, the back seat, and the assistant pastor jumps in the car in the back seat next to the baby and goes, I'm going to beat the devil up one more time. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Get him out of the car. We head to the hospital. The doctor is furious. <laughs> Mr. Source, I don't understand. I said, Doc, listen to me. With all due respect, you got your way of doing things. We got our way of doing things. This is irresponsible. Doc, look at the baby. Check my son. I don't understand. You're right. You see what I'm saying here? He saw, we saw the evidence that there is a kingdom. And that kingdom is ruled over by a king. And that king knows how to protect us, knows how to heal us. But, But listen, listen, it's one thing for us to see it. But if you and I don't start demonstrating this, the rest of this lost world has no evidence that there's a kingdom that exists. So stop being timid. Start being bold. Start praying for your your loved ones. I mean with them. Don't do the safe Christian thing. Well, I'll pray for you when I get it. No, grab their hand and say, let's pray right now. What if they think I'm crazy? They already think you're crazy. What difference does it make? Are you listening to me? Let's start showing the evidence that there is such a kingdom. And that kingdom operates supernaturally, supernatural, above the natural, supernatural. Are you listening to me? That is the kingdom that you belong to. That is the king that you have subjected your life to and submitted your life to. That is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the king of the little kings and the Lord of the little lords. Guess who the little kings are and guess who the little lords are? Oh, my God. You are. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 1, he gave us dominion. You know, what? does anybody in here speak Latin, ever spoke Latin? Did you take Latin when you were in school? Dominus is the root word for dominion. It's Lord, lordship. So he made us in his image, and then he said, here it is. You are now the lords over this whole creation. I'm holding you responsible for what goes on over here. If anybody's going to know that there's a kingdom, they're going to know it because they see it in your life and in your life and in your life and in my life. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Let's, let's stand up. We're going to pray, and then we're going to, we're going to sing. And we're going, to, we're going to sing about this mighty king. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, majesty, for who you are. And this day, we once again, in a very fresh new way, we submit ourselves to your kingship. We submit ourselves to your dominion. We submit ourselves and we declare, you are the mighty God. You are the king of kings. You are the king of the universe. And we're so grateful that you've received us into this family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Don't leave yet. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.